Good day, good evening, everyone. This is Zarina, host of the Grow and Learn podcast. I'm joined today by Seri Ibrahim, uh, who's a financial consultant uh, of uh, individuals who are just starting their business. Some are high net worth individuals, some are just regular employees, people of all walks of life. Uh, we're going to be talking today about a range of topics, among which how to transition uh, from uh, uh, an employee career to your own business and what you should be considering from a financial standpoint of view and from the point of view of what you're going to be doing when you retire, your retirement plans. So stay tuned. Hi, Sari. Hi, Zirina. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for being here. So uh, before we start, Sari, um, tell us a bit about you. How did you come up to this um, line of business? Uh, what has been going on in your line of business in the past years? What are the trends? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, so definitely. So I started my journey, uh, my professional journey when I was doing my MBA. I was doing it at a university in downtown Chicago. That's where I'm from. Not downtown, obviously. I'm from Chicago. And I was doing my MBA there. And I was about halfway through my MBA program. And I really needed to kind of get out there and work in the real world. I haven't had any real jobs yet up to this point. And I wanted to get into project management. That, that was my concentration. I wanted to do project management and then take the PMP exam, the project management professional exam after that and become a PMP. But then as I, as I was taking these courses, I realized I didn't really click that well with that subject. Uh, I think I have a technical mind, but I really like dealing with people and I like dealing with problems. And I kind of wanted to go out there and do different things. So I got a job at Allstate Insurance and I was doing like sales and marketing. I was on the phone all day with, with clients who are business owners and individuals. And we were talking about like protecting their assets, like their cars, homes, businesses, their life, you know, all these different things that they had. And I, I built a passion for talking to people about money. So, and then I also noticed that people became more comfortable talking to me about their financial problems. And now I wanted to make this into a career where I'm just talking to people about their financial issues and to see if I can help them. And I was still early to this, to this career. And I didn't really know much about what kind of career that would be. I just assumed it would be a financial consultant or financial advisor financial planner, but I stuck through it. And then I got into Medicare, which is um, health insurance for people Mm. over the age of 65, worked with people who worked for the city of Chicago and they retired. And I I was their like Medicare consultant. I helped them choose a plan. I helped them with retirement planning. And now I had this passion for retirement. And then another thing too, Zarina, is one way I like to learn is I like to read books. So um, I sometimes read like three books at the same time. It's crazy. Uh, but I was just on Amazon searching for books like financial planning. And I came across one book called the bank on yourself revolution. So I read that book. And then at the end of the book, there was a section that said, if you wanted to join our organization as a consultant, I applied, got accepted, went through the training. And then now this is what I do full-time. I do bank on yourself, um, bank on yourself policies for clients and help them with retirement building. I work with entrepreneurs and, you know, that's actually my favorite part is the entrepreneurial part and helping them find financial freedom. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And I immediately have uh, direct questions uh, regarding retirement because um, I personally have strong doubts and that's not to challenge you or anything, but I have strong doubts that we would be needing retirement or or that the systems would exist for the average entrepreneur that is of the age 40, Uh just on average. Um, Let's say 35 years from now, that is the average retirement age in the U.S., which is way above uh, Europe. But at this time, 35 years from now, 
-hmm. according to my perception, the world would look so much different that retirement plans might not even be in the game or retirement as a concept. What is your view on that? You're absolutely right. Yeah, definitely. I think the, the overall word retirement is going to change 30 to 35 years from now. That as well as the value of the dollar and the value of the euro, which is going to have an impact on the way people view, view money, that's going to definitely change. If we assume that an average inflation rate is 3%, then um, in 24 years, the cost of something that costs $1 now is going to be $2 in 24 years. So definitely that's going to change dramatically. I think that some um, programs like Social Security in the United States who knows if that's going to be around 30, 35 years from now? I don't think so. So this is why I think that entrepreneurs and even full-time employees need to think of a way other than Social Security and other than their typical retirement plans. So one thing that's changed over the last 20 years in the, in the United States is that um, a lot of people had pensions like 20 years ago. And a pension is like a guaranteed retirement source. So for example, you retire at the age of 70, and then you have like $3,000 a month that comes in guaranteed on top of Social Security plus Social Security. And then that pension also increases like 3% every year or whatever to, to, to keep up with inflation. But those pensions are no longer around for a lot of people. Most people don't have pensions anymore because they became too expensive to maintain. And because they're guaranteed, companies have to guarantee them and insurance companies have to guarantee those payments. So a lot of companies moved over to 401ks and 401ks are just kind of like a joint brokerage account where you pay into it and the employer pays into it. But, you know, those could be problematic because a lot of those funds are invested in the stock market and that there's a lot of volatility behind that. Plus, the fees to manage the 401ks are kind of high. So it doesn't really um, fulfill the purpose of retirement planning. So now I just want the listeners to start thinking like you need other solutions that are not dependent on the stock market and are not dependent on government policy, something that you could own that is not hindered by market conditions or government policies or politics. So you need something that you own privately. And that's exactly what I help people with. I help them build these retirement plans that they can own privately and not have to worry about what happens in the stock market and not have to worry about what Wall Street decides, what large banks decide, what politicians decide. Um, and I think that's how kind of retirement should be. It should be all in your hands and you being in complete control of it. You got me really interested now. What would be such a solution that is not uh, dependent on the stock market? Yeah, so... If we look at all, um, there's about typically 450 different financial vehicles. If we look at all of them and try to figure out which one is not impacted by market conditions yeah. and is not impacted by tax rates going up and by government policies, out of all the 450 vehicles out there, surprisingly, it ends up being dividend paying whole life insurance uh, using the cash value. Now, people are always like, I thought this was about retirement planning and I thought this was about building financial security for the future. What does it have to do with life insurance? And I think that's a valid concern because a lot of people don't know much about life insurance and I don't blame them. It's not really a sexy topic to talk about, but um, I, this is what the book, The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen, this is what it talks about. It talks about the use of cash value, whole life insurance or dividend paying whole life insurance for you to save in the policy and then be able to access at any time for any reason you want. And the growth of that is not impacted by, um, by market conditions. It would help a lot if I, I could actually send the, a free copy to the listeners if we, when they reach out at the end um, of the book, The Bank I Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen, which would describe this concept in detail. I'm just wondering, um, do, you, do you consider market conditions being 
a separate uh, factor from the stock market because these companies that offer insurances, they're also listed on the stock market, the majority of them. True, they are. But we so there's typically two types of insurance companies. There's uh, stock owned insurance companies, which are publicly traded. And then there's, or they could be privately held stock companies. And then there's also mutually owned insurance companies, mm-hmm. insurance companies that are kind of like um, owned by the policy owners. And those are the companies we work with. So we, we only oh, work okay. with mutually owned insurance companies. And these mutually owned insurance companies have been in business that we work with for over a hundred years. Wow. They've been paying out cash values and dividends and compound interest to clients for over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And what they invest in typically 60 to 80% is in the bond market. And then 20 to 40% are in private loans. They loan out money to other financial institutions, to the policy owners. They have different sources of revenue that are typically, typically conservative. So like, for example, one insurance company we work with um, in 2008, they, nothing happened to their cash values for all their clients. So all their clients' cash values and their life insurance amounts were not hindered or affected by the 2008 market crash, as opposed to like banks, a lot of banks went out of business. A lot of banks got bought out by a lot of other banks. The stock market crash, obviously a lot of bad financial things happened in 2008, um, except for insurance companies. So this is a mm-hmm. way to kind of hedge against the uncertainties and against the risk. It's a good risk mitigation tool to apply, to incorporate um, uh, these insurance companies within your portfolio. Mm-hmm. I see. And uh, uh, when it comes to uh, cryptocurrencies and gold, what people consider now the the safe haven from yeah. the upcoming uh, collapse as projected by a lot of analysts. Yes. Uh, what is your view on cryptocurrency? Yeah, exactly. I think that um, that's a smart idea is that you want something that kind of that's outside of the hands of Wall Street, outside of the hands of large banks and you know the potential crash. I agree that I think there is a potential crash coming up. Um, cryptocurrency, there's so many different kinds, right? If we just talk about like Bitcoin, I think it's really, I think there's a lot of potential for the future. The only issue I think right now with Bitcoin is it's just too uncertain. It's too volatile. It's too shaky as well as other cryptocurrencies. That's the only thing, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad right now. It just means that maybe that's just something to look out for. And then of course, gold is gold. I think that, I think that there has to be proper allocations or proper blends. And this is what, this is what like a competent advisor would understand. Like it's not going to be all or nothing like oh, we should do all crypto or all gold or all life insurance or whatever the case is. It's like, there has to be like a proper blend between them. And the the blend depends on a person's age, their objectives, what they want to accomplish, when they want to retire, where they live, all these factors come into play. So uh, definitely, I think that, yeah, we we are going to have a crash. And I think that, you know, one thing that's important is having an advisor who you could work with, you could trust, and that has no particular um, bias towards one vehicle they can kind of step back and, and look at all the vehicles and then figure out what's going to be relevant for you. Awesome. Awesome. Shall we move on to the topic of entrepreneurs or what is it? Or maybe maybe just extend first on this topic of uh, retirement specifically for entrepreneurs because yeah. for, for them it's a bit more of an insecure game. They cannot spare so much money for a retirement plan of any sort, as a matter of fact, or at least not of the sorts that I know. Yeah, exactly. So one problem when you own your own company is that you don't have benefits. You don't get typically health insurance or uh, a pension or other types of retirement planning. So you have to do all that on your own. 
And another thing too, it's a lot of, a lot of people who have businesses have them for what are the reasons why they started the business was for retirement purposes. So, but not every business is, um, uh, has the ability to support you in retirement because what if the business heavily relies on you operating the business, then you can't really retire unless you sell the business or you have somebody in your family or somebody close by to run it, to give you passive income from it. So it gets a little bit tricky with business owners. So I think business owners definitely need to plan for retirement in the way that it's completely passive, where they could, for example, over the next 30 years, allocate funds to a, a vehicle. And then from there, maybe 30 years later, um, have that as part of their portfolio where they could still have their business potentially, but also have some sort of income stream that's not a- affected by the performance of their business also and the performance of the stock market. Th- those two things don't really matter. Yeah, but yeah, that's a, it, it's definitely a sensitive area when it comes to entrepreneurs and retirement because a, a lot of times I think entrepreneurs too, from what I've talked to is like they're so focused on getting the business to launch now. Like they're thinking, especially if it's in within the first two years of starting a business, the last thing really on your mind is retirement planning. You're more concerned about affording the business in the short term, which is the most um which is the most serious time for a business to, to, to be successful is within the first two years and depending on the industry and the size and other factors like that. But for the most part, um, that's kind of the trick, the tricky part with entrepreneurs is that it's kind of hard to look past that time period, but yeah, I think they should and and definitely think about retirement. That's not going to be just only the business they have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so what would be an appropriate solution for starting for a startup? that doesn't have a lot of available cash flow. Yeah. So one thing that I would recommend is like, so a lot of people have this dilemma, right? Like, should I um, save cash for the future or should I reinvest it back into my business and then earn compound growth on that by reinvesting it? And I think what if there's a way you could do both and the bank on yourself topic, which is something that our firm specializes in is in the bank on yourself concept. There's a way you could do both. You could save money and then leverage those savings to reinvest back into your business. Now you have like two assets that are supporting each other. So your business supports the policy, the policy supports the business, and then back and forth, you have, you know, a lot of our clients actually do this. So they're doing both. They are saving cash for the future and they are also reinvesting it back into their business. This way, they're not locking up too much capital. They're able to kind of keep churning those dollars over and over again. And you know, another thing too, I wanted to share is that we have a podcast called Thinking Like a Bank. And this is exactly what the show talks about. We talk about how to think like a bank, what banks do. And one thing that banks do is they keep revolving money. Like you go to your bank, you deposit $1,000 into the bank account. The bank is going to take up to uh, $900 from that, invest it in other projects, take from those returns. Like they're just going to keep moving money around and keep it circulating and then earn like fees and interest in between all those transfers. And anybody could really do this. We show clients how to do this. Mm, awesome. That's really interesting. I'm going to check your podcast out. <laughs> okay, yes. cool. All right. So let's move on to the succeeding topic of uh, entrepreneurs again. But um, what else do they need to think about when, they, when they're considering jumping off ship or moving away from a corporate career? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a, it's definitely scary. I've done it. I've actually done it, believe it or not. I've done it three times. So I started a business. It kind of slowed down. I had to put on hold, get a job. I did that three times back and forth. And I always was able to maintain my business luckily, but yeah, definitely it gets hard because one thing that, you know, I didn't notice at least is that I didn't think that I needed like at least two years of reserves in place or 
um, an additional source of income that could supplement that. So either or. So for example, if your monthly bills are $5,000 a month, you would need at least um, uh, five times 12, um, $60,000, and then multiply that by two. So that's $120,000 at least in, um, in, in, in some sort of cash on the side. And then you could start your business. Uh, and then so you would, so that way you could pay yourself. Now I didn't, I didn't have that. And then um, didn't think I needed that, but that's one thing. Another thing too, is you need to be very fluent with numbers and know your business plan, know your goals and know, like, for example, how much, like how much you're expecting to make in revenue, how much your expenses are going to be, how much your projected expenses are going to be like moving forward, income, all these different things. And that's something I didn't do either. So those are two major things that I didn't do. And now I'm doing them very, like um, very strictly because I'm full-time, I'm a full-time self-employed uh, advisor now. So I have to do these things in order to stay in business. So those are two things that I would recommend. I kind of get to be very fluent with your numbers and have some sort of cash reserve or an additional source of income um, on, on the side. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not easy to, to have 120K to start <laughs> off a business. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most people that start businesses don't have that. Yeah. Exactly. So then you have to get creative. Like you have to think, all right, so do I uh, raise capital from outside investors? And that's probably going to be tricky. A lot of people can't do that because they don't have enough business, business experience. And then do I borrow, um, you know, um, under my personal name or my business name? A lot of people can't borrow from, against their business name because again, they're startups, being mm. so really loan out to yeah. uh, businesses unless they have experience. So I have to borrow now on the personal side. And then do I work like a part-time job on the side? Do I have any passive income? And then do I have cash reserves, just, just savings? So you kind of have to take all of those and then even combine them together where you're taking from like each one as much as you possibly can. So this is where people max out credit cards, you know, borrow money from family and friends, have cash savings and, you know, do like um, a job on the weekends. And they have all these different sources of, of money coming in aside from the business to keep it moving. Cause it's almost like you only have, like when you start your business, you only have like, for the most part, like a two-year window from the time you start and then add two years to that to survive in there. So you have to do whatever it takes to pay for every, all the expenses that come within that two-year period. And then once you make it past that two-year period, it doesn't guarantee success, obviously, but it increases the chances of you staying in business. It like multiplies it. I don't know what the percentage is, but it multiplies it dramatically if you're able to survive within those first two years. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's a, a statistics, as we know, is uh, we call it stigmistic. So you can adjust it as uh, <laughs> as you like. Uh, in Austria, for example, the the biggest percentage of entrepreneurs are actually self-employed, just because yeah. they're required to have a a company to operate, a nail shop or a hair salon or whatever. Yeah. So clearly, these are not businesses that would um, that would need such a huge investment you know they, they could immediately start and start turning around money so it really depends I'd say exactly yeah, yeah you're so right it depends on the industry and some industries are much more cash flow intensive where they could just open up day one and then start making cash flow exactly. and other other yeah. businesses like professional services uh, it might take some time to actually get clients and then get the transaction due so yeah right. you're right thanks for making the distinction it depends on the type of business. Yeah, yeah, great. Any last words, Sari? No, I yeah, really... uh, thank, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I enjoyed our conversation. And if listeners want to reach out, they can connect with me. They can go to our website. It's uh, finassetprotection.com, F-I-N, assetprotection.com, like A-S-S-E-T protection.com. And then I can send them a free copy of the book, The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen, if they want to reach out. If they also want to um, do like a 15-minute free intro call, like a a consultation, I could do that too. They can just schedule the appointment there. And they can also connect with me on LinkedIn, which is, you can find the link link for LinkedIn in the website that I just uh, provided. Sure. They can also find it below this podcast. I'll put it in the description below. Um, What was the name of your podcast again? Yeah, thinking like a bank. Thinking like a bank. Yeah. Awesome. It was a real pleasure. Thank you very much and very informative. I wasn't aware of, uh, of these alternative uh, um, ways to uh, ensure pension. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Zarina. Yeah, thank you so much. I uh, enjoyed our conversation. Thank you.